Last week I challenged you uh, at the beginning of the message about what kind of music you have on your playlist, and uh, I didn't denounce any, but I suggested some. That's another song that I have on mine, and I listen to it a lot, and it is an absolutely awesome song. I was excited when I saw that Ryan and these guys were going to sing it this morning, because even though it's inspired by the life of Job, it applies, as he suggested, equally to the life of David. David, whose life we've been studying for the majority of this year... I think we'd all agree enjoyed the highest of highs, but I think we'd have to admit as well the lowest of lows. David certainly knew joy, guys, on huge and massive levels, but he knew sorrow, he knew disappointment, he knew death, he knew failure, he knew pain on unprecedented levels as well. It's like God comes to us with the life of David, and in that life he finds or gives to us a life that sort of comprehends almost the totality of human experience, and therefore it comprehends the whole of my life and the whole of yours. There is something in this man's life that all of us all of us, all of us can relate to. All of us. And so as we continue today with our study of this book of 2 Samuel, and we're coming almost to the final chapters, now we get to chapter 22, and the voice in the narrative changes. And it changes from the voice that we become accustomed to now for the better part of this year, which is who? It's the voice of the narrator. The narrator's been telling us about David and telling us about David and telling us about David and telling us about David. Okay, his voice gives way today to the voice of David himself. And it's a voice of an aged David, of a guy who's at the end of his life. Now, these are not his final words that we'll look at. We'll see those next week, but they are his almost final words. The almost final words of this man whose life at the beginning took off from planet earth like a rocket. I mean, the ascendancy this guy just achieved was absolutely unbelievable. It's like he soared into outer space. And then we got to second Samuel chapter 11 to Bathsheba to Uriah. And then what happened? Oh, it pivoted. Did it not? And he returned to earth like a meteor crashed and burned. He gets to the end of his days, and in these almost final words, what is he going to say? What would you say? Up, down. David, it seems to me, more than anything else, is thankful. And so what I want you to see today is what David is thankful for, and then here's how we end. I'm just going to ask you, what are you thankful for? Really, in light of what David is thankful for, if you have the same Savior, if you serve the same God, if you belong to him and he organizes your life even as he did for the life of David, all right, well then what could you be thankful for? What should you be thankful for? So we pick up our study today, Second Samuel 22, starting in verse 2, where David says this, and don't miss the metaphors. They are the key to so much of what I want to show you this morning. David said, the Lord is my what? Because it's a metaphor. The Lord is my rock. And you think to yourself, all right, well, what kind of a rock? I mean, what are you saying, David? He's like your pet rock. I mean, like, what does that mean exactly? It means, practically speaking, that when David saw a rock, at least in some sense, what David saw was his God. There's at least in some sense, which every rock he came across, okay, inspired in him a thought about one of the many attributes of God that is so worthy of praise, even, by the way, when he slays you, as Ryan just sang. That really spoke to me. I've been to Israel now four times, and I want to tell you that there is nothing more common in the land of Israel than rocks. Rocks are everywhere. 
notwithstanding 2,000 years of tourism and all of us, all of we go over there with our plastic Ziploc bags and we all return with 40 pounds of rocks, you know, and pay extra in our suitcases and hope we don't get caught like the Ministry of Tourism is freaking out over how many rocks you're taking. Good grief. They have an endless supply of rocks over there. You go up into the Galilee, which is one of my favorite areas, and it's beautiful, but the undeveloped parts, and a lot of it is undeveloped, which is one of the reasons it's so wonderful. The undeveloped land there looks like a rainstorm of rocks had just fallen there. If you own a piece of land and you want to use it for anything, agenda item number one, clear it of the rocks. They don't need fence makers there. They take the rocks and they clear the land and they create stone walls around their properties. Nothing more common than rocks in the land of the Bible, the land of David. And yet David is saying, listen, even in the most common thing that I encounter in life, I want to tell you what I see. I see the Lord. That's what it reminds me of. Why? Because that's what he's looking for. That's what he has so trained his heart and mind to see in his life and to find in virtually everything that he sees. And so David starts out and he says, the Lord is my rock. And then he adds to that in my fortress. And he is hidden out in fortresses. We've, we've said the, seen the stories. We've read through them and studied them. My deliverer, he goes on. And then he says, the Lord is my God. And again, he says, and my rock. But this time, what kind of rock is he? He's a rock in whom I can take refuge. So now what kind of rock is that? It's a cave. It's a cave in which you can seek shelter and refuge and you can hide out in the cave. And David spent, what, the better part of a decade living in caves, being chased around in the wilderness from Saul. Here's the point. When David sees a a rock, he sees God. When he sees a fortress, he sees God. When he sees a cave, he sees God. What do you see? That's kind of the question. He's looking around his life and he has eyes that see the Lord everywhere he looks. So the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. The Lord is my God. And again, he says, my rock in whom I take refuge. And he adds to that list a shield. He says he is also my shield. He's saying, guys, you know that shield that I carry into battle? It's really common, like every soldier has one. That shield that I use to protect me from swords and spears and arrows and enemies. Yeah, even in that, I I see the protecting presence of my Lord and the horn of my salvation. He sees an animal that has horns. It reminds him of God. Good grief. Is there anything that doesn't? How wonderful. My stronghold, an impenetrable place of safety and my refuge and my savior. And then he says, you, meaning you, my invisible God, whom I see in virtually every visible thing that I encounter. You save me from violence, and so then I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. And I am saved from my enemies, for throughout the course of my life, David is saying, and we know this, we've studied it. What's happened to David? The waves of death encompassed me, and the torrents, meaning the raging rivers of destruction. You follow that? The raging rivers of destruction assailed me. And the cords of Sheol, that is to say, of the grave, entangled me so as to pull me down into the grave is the idea, and the snares of death confronted me, just like they do for you. 
just like they do for me. And yet instead of allowing those things to make him angry and bitter and despairing and depressed, which is what they typically do for us, David is nevertheless thankful. But for what is he thankful and why is he thankful for it? He is thankful, first of all, I think, for God's saving presence in his life. And he's thankful for it because, unlike so many of us, David actually sees it. And why does he see it? Because it's what he's looking for. It's what he has so trained his heart and mind to see and to find. I think one of the axioms of life, guys, is that you find what you're looking for. It's really true. And so here's the deal. I think for most of us, a rock is just a rock, and a fortress is just a fortress, and a cave is just a cave, and a shield is just a shield, and a stronghold is just a stronghold, but not for David. When David looked around at his life in each and every one of these inanimate objects, these visible things, he saw and he found his invisible God. And so then you've got to ask yourself when you make a realization like that, okay, well then, what am I looking for in life? Because if it's not God, then I'll tell you what you will inevitably see. Waves of death, raging rivers of destruction. Okay, the cords of Sheol, that's what you'll focus on. The snares of death that seem at least to be laid out before your every step, and perhaps are. But if it is God, then that will do for you what it did for David. It will put those things in their proper place, and it will allow you to rest. It will allow you to have peace. It will allow you to know that in the end, you win. Your victory is assured. And even if your life goes up, 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 and you enjoy it, and it's wonderful, and then it crashes and burns, which probably makes it more painful, not less. The highs make the lows more severe. Yet you can praise Him and be thankful. So I think, first of all, David was thankful for God's saving presence in his life, and he was thankful for it because, well, he saw it, and he saw it because he was looking for it. It's what he trained his heart and mind to find, and when he did, he found the Lord in virtually everything that he saw. And so now David describes that saving presence for us with another series of metaphors, which again illustrate the fact that, okay, pretty much everything David sees, storms, coals, fire, lightning, thunder, the whole deal, in it... He sees the emblems of the power of his Lord. He says, beginning in verse 7, In my distress I called upon the Lord. To my God I called from his temple in heaven, he says. He heard my voice from way, way, way down here on earth. And my cry came to his ears way, way, way up there in heaven. And then what happened? Then the earth reeled and rocked and the foundations of the heavens trembled and quaked. Why? Because my God was angry on my behalf, David is saying. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He was seen on the wings of the wind. He made darkness around him as canopy, thick clouds, a gathering of water. And out of the brightness before him, coals of fire flamed forth. The Lord thundered on my behalf, David is saying, from heaven and the Most High uttered his voice. And he sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen, and the foundations of the world were laid bare, and at the rebuke of the Lord, that's, well, that's when that happened, and at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. How vivid, how amazing. All of these natural phenomena in which he sees the delivering power of his Lord. 
And notice how personal the delivering power to David is. Follow now the personal pronouns of this man whose heart is so trained that he sees the invisible God in every visible thing. He sent from on high, he says, and he took who? Me. Very personal. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place, a place of safety and salvation is the point there. And he rescued me because he so delighted in me. And so then again, David is thankful for the saving presence of the Lord in his life. He's thankful for it because, unlike a lot of us, he actually sees it. And he sees it because, well, you find what you're looking for. And he has trained his heart and mind to look for the Lord. He believes he's everywhere. And in his creation, he sees all of these emblems of the Lord's power, genius, presence. But not only is David looking for it, but as we just learned, David keeps a record of it. That was striking. I thought to myself, all right, Tom, well, then what do you keep a record of? I mean, when it comes to God, what do you keep a record of? Here's what I think we tend to do, and we don't need to write it down. We've got it memorized because we rehearse it so frequently. I think we tend to keep a long list of things, ways that God has, at least in our puny estimations, if I can just state it plainly, disappointed us. You have failed me here. You didn't come through for me here. I wish you would have done this, but instead you did this or nothing. And we've got that list down pretty well, don't we? And then we keep either no list or a short list of all of the many ways that God has, in fact, worked to deliver us, that God has, in fact, saved and blessed us, and sometimes in ways that far exceed anything that we could have asked for or imagined. And here's the deal. We look over, under, around, and through those blessings to look at the other list. Day after day, after day after day, David gets to the end of this life, which ends with a crash and burn meteoric, famous, public, devastating, death in his family, all kinds of things. And what does he leave behind? Because there's no list in his writings that contain any of the ways that God in his estimation failed him. But in every psalm this man writes, and how many is that? He wrote most of the book of Psalms. This is a psalm. There is list after list after list after list after list after list. It just keeps going after list after list. Good grief, how many after list? You've got to be kidding me. After list after list of ways that God was good to him. And I'll tell you what that made him. It didn't make him angry, bitter, despairing, or depressed. It made him thankful. And so David is thankful for God's saving presence in his life. But now, secondly, I think, as we're now going to see, he's thankful for the presence of God's Savior, meaning Jesus, in his life. And I say that because that's the only way that I can make sense of what David says next. Beginning in verse 22, he says, The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. And you want to stop and go, okay, David, before I read the rest, if what you mean by that is the Lord dealt with you according to your adulterous sin with Bathsheba and then the way that you murdered her husband so you could take her into your harem and cover over her pregnancy with your child, and so then as a result of that, you lost four of your sons, one of which first raped one of your daughters, another of which then killed the rapist, and then 
led almost the whole nation to reject you as king, drove you off the throne of Israel and out into exile. If that's what you're talking about, well, fine, then we're, we're doing well here. I get it. You're right. But that's not what he's talking about. Listen to what he says. He says, the Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. Mine, he's saying. It belongs to me. Think about it in terms of property. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. Really? For all his rules were before me, and from his statutes I did not turn aside. Talk about selective memory. And the Lord has rewarded me, he says again, according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness. Where? Because I think it's a clue in his sight, not in David's sight, not in my sight, not in your sight, not in the public's sight, not in his people's sight, but honestly, in the only sight that matters in the end, the eyes of the judge. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. Was David merciful to Uriah? Would you call that mercy? With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless, with the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. And with the what? With the pure? No, with the purified. There's a difference. With the purified, you deal purely. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem tortuous. You appear very differently. You save a humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty, the prideful, to bring them down. It's funny, I went for a walk with Beth probably Monday night or Tuesday night of this week. It was early in the week, and uh, she hadn't yet read through this passage of Scripture. So she said, well, you know, why don't I just put it on my phone, and we'll walk and, and listen to it. And mind you, it's like 50 verses long. So, I mean, that's about three-quarters of a mile of our walk. And it was a beautiful night, you know, and so we got all these people out, and they're walking their dogs and whatnot, which creates a little bit of an awkward situation because you're coming across these people, and now you've got this really dramatic, beautiful voice, by the way. I wish I had this guy's voice rendering of this great psalm. And so, you know, these people are walking their dog, you know, and out of your phone is blaring, and the foundations of the world were laid bare at the breath of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. And um, so even their dog avoids you at that point. He's just, those guys are weird, man. But I knew that this part was in it. And I'm thinking to myself as we're listening, well, I can't wait to see what her reaction is to this. So we get through with that little bit that I just read you, and she just went, hmm. That was it. So then we get to the end, and she said, all right, what was that all about? How can David claim that? He can't. I can't claim that. You can't claim that. Nobody but Jesus can claim that. But that's the gospel, is it not? The gospel is if you've repented of your sins, and David did. If you've claimed Christ and His blood on your behalf, your sins are covered over, are they not? But not only are you forgiven, but the gospel is that the righteousness of Jesus' perfect life is given as a gift to you. And guess what? It's yours. You can speak of it as my righteousness. It's yours. So his righteousness becomes your righteousness. The cleanness of his hands by which you will be rewarded is the cleanness of your hands. 
And in the end, God will in fact reward you for his cleanness, his blamelessness, his guiltlessness. All of these things become our most treasured and prized possessions given to us, not because we've earned them, but in spite of the fact that we've done everything we can to prove that we're undeserving. It is solely as a gift. And if he does nothing more for us in life than that, it seems to me that we ought to be thankful. See, that means that David's most notorious and famous sins, and we all know what they are, are covered. And it means that yours are as well. So David is thankful for God's saving presence in his life. He's thankful for the presence of God's Savior in his life. And then lastly, David is thankful for all the ways that the Lord used him in this life. Beginning in verse 29, David says, For you are my lamp, O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness. little pause. How does he do that? Like you're walking down a dark street, he pops in and hands you a flashlight. Is that the way that it works? His glowing presence just shows up beside you, and now everything's lit up, and you're like, thanks, God. It was getting a little dark out here. You know, the time has changed, so now the sun's going down earlier, and didn't want to step in that pothole, right? David tells us elsewhere, he says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Now, what is he saying? He's saying that just as there is a order to the physical universe, together with laws and real cause and effect and consequences, you jump off a building, you fall down. It doesn't end well. There is a moral order to this world as well. There is a wisdom by which, if we live it out, we miss the perils of life. That in the darkness of the wisdom of the world, we will otherwise fall headlong into, just like everyone else does. And we ignore His light when we ignore His Word. You are my lamp, O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness with His Word, with His wisdom, with His Spirit who communicates with me through His Word, He's saying. And for by you, now He's talking now about empowerment, I can run against a troop all by myself. And by my God, I can leap over a wall. He's saying, in the strength of my God, I can do what is otherwise impossible, which is sometimes what He calls us to do. This God, David says, His way, which admittedly is so hurtful and so confusing to us at times, at times it's like we have to walk a path of darkness for Him to lead us out into a place of light. David, standing at the end of his life where he's experienced all of it, says, let me just tell you something about this God. His way, I know you want to doubt it. I know you want to question it. It's perfect. And the word of the Lord, which by design, circumstantially, at times looks like it could not possibly be true or come true to us, proves true. And so now here comes a whole new set of metaphors out of the heart of this guy who not only saw God and everything, but then kept a record of it. He says he is a shield for all those who take refuge in them, for who is God but the Lord, and who is a rock except our God. This God is my strong refuge and has made my way blameless. He has made my otherwise wicked way blameless through His Savior. He has made my feet, which would otherwise be unstable, 
like the feet of a deer, and he has set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation, and your gentleness has made me great. I love that. You gave a wide place for my steps under me, and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies, and I think you need to understand this too, who were also God's enemies. David fought the Lord's battles on behalf of the Lord's people, and he fought them in the power of the Lord. He destroyed them and did not turn back until they were consumed. I consumed them, he says, I thrust them through. My goodness, how graphic. So that they did not rise, they fell under my feet, for you equipped me with strength for the battle. Where does strength for the battle come from? It comes from the Lord. And we too have battles to fight, now not with swords, but with the sword of the Word of the Lord. Battles to fight in our own life as we struggle to receive that Word and the promises of that Word and the assurances of that Word and to believe them in light of the circumstances that say, you know, I don't know how that's going to work out. Good luck with that. To trust the God of that Word and a Word that we then take out into the world, and we don't fight against the, word, the world with the Word. We fight for it. David says, for you equip me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me, those who hated me, and I destroyed them. They looked, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but, they did not, but he did not answer them. I beat them fine as the dust of the earth. I crushed them and stamped them down like the mire of the streets. You delivered me from strife with my people. You kept me as the head of the nations, people whom I had not known, served me. Foreigners came cringing to me as soon as they heard of me. They obeyed me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. The idea here is David's standing very close to the end of his life. He's looking back on all of the great victories, for which I'm sure he had all kinds of plaques and medals and awards and accolades, and everybody went, David, David, he's our man. You know, if he can't do it, nobody can. And he is saying, he's recording in the hymn book of Israel, which will now He publishes this in some sense. He publishes this. It's Psalm 18 as well as 2 Samuel 22. And he's saying, I want you guys to know something about all those great victories. That wasn't me. That was the Lord. And he was working in and through me. I don't have that kind of wisdom. I don't have that kind of power. I don't have that kind of charisma. I can't leap over a wall. Good grief. I'm not even a fast runner. I can't take on a troop by myself, but in the Lord, well, I can do all things. So then he concludes with this, verse 47. He says, the Lord lives, and blessed be my rock. Man, the rocks are everywhere, aren't they? Literally and figuratively. The rock of my salvation, exalted be my God, he says, again, the rock of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance and brought down peoples under me, who brought me out from my enemies. You, he says, exalted me above those who rose against me. You, again, he says, delivered me from men of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord. 
and I will praise you among the nations, sing your praises, or sing praises to your name. Great salvation he has brought to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and to his offspring forever. And that's the end of the psalm. So David here now is at the end of his life, and he's looking back on it all. And the narrator says, you know what, I think I'm just going to give him the microphone. What, what, what do you want to say? He says, I'm going Psalm 18 on this. I want everybody to know that even with the meteoric crash and burn, and everything that came along with that, all the devastation, all of it, really more than anything else, I'm thankful. And I'm thankful, David says, for God's saving presence in my life. And why? Because he saw it. And why? Because he was looking for it. And you find what you're looking for. And not only did he look for it, guys, he kept track of it. He made lists upon lists of it. It's kind of a big deal. What are you looking for and keeping track of, really? Because if it's not the Lord in all of the many ways that He's good to you, typically they're standing right in front of you. You've got to look over, under, around, or through them to look at the other stuff. But if it's not the goodness of God in your life and His presence everywhere you look, then it will inevitably be the waves of death and the raging rivers of destruction and the cords of Sheol and and the snares of death. What a bummer. But if it is God, those things will find their rightful place. You'll look at them through Him. And that will enable you to be thankful. In fact, it will drive you to be. So he's thankful for God's saving presence. He's thankful for the presence of God's Savior in his life. For by that Savior, his infamy was wiped away eternally, and the sight of the one whose sight alone in the end matters. Is that true for you? If it is, then be thankful. And then lastly, David was thankful for all the ways that God used him in this life, for what a privilege it is to help build a kingdom that will never end, and to get to the end of your life and to realize that it mattered, that it, it actually made a difference. And so how has the Lord used you to build His kingdom in your life? Do you have an answer for that? How might the Lord use you? How would He like to use you that you've kind of been going, yeah, 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 I know about that. But What a privilege it is. So we see an aged David today, one who could complain, but who can't one who instead is thankful. So what are you thankful for? And what could you, or maybe should you, be thankful for? Let's pray. Father, we are thankful uh, this morning um, for our Lord. We are thankful for the one who is himself, the Passover lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who by his blood washes away our most famous our most devastating, our most embarrassing sins. Lord, who by His sufferings has purchased our life and who has simply given to us a righteousness that is not ours, a cleanness that is not ours, a guiltlessness that is not ours, a blamelessness that we know nothing of in our own strength, 
In fact, quite the opposite, but instead, truly is ours through faith in Him, and by which we will, in the end, to His glory, be rewarded. It's a little wonder in Revelation that we cast our crowns at His feet. Lord, drive us to an appreciation of that Savior and drive us to an appreciation of ourselves and how much smaller we are than He. Lord, humble us before Him. Father, let us praise Him, receiving from His hand whatever comes, knowing that in the end we win, for we're His. Do these things for your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.